Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. I'm reading the gospel reading tonight. Um, You might remember that we are in a worship series um, during this Lenten season called We're Gonna Need a Bigger Boat. We are reading stories of Jesus's early ministry in the gospel of Matthew and anticipating the holiest week when it all comes unraveled. And now in our countdown, it's just a couple weeks away. So last week we began reading in the Sermon on the Mount, um, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. We're not reading all the words of the Sermon on the Mount this year. We have read every single word of the Sermon on the Mount a couple times together as a church, and you're invited if you want to to go back into archives of worship and preaching um, to hear more of that. But this week we're jumping ahead into Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Just a couple notes about the reading tonight. One is that there's a lot of father language in this passage uh, for relating to God. And we're just going to leave it in place because every word I'm going to read tonight, is a, it's Jesus talking. It's all in quote marks. It's all Jesus talking. Jesus related to God as a father. And so we're going to let that stand. That's, that's Jesus' own reflection on his relationship with the deity. Um, so we're just going to let it stand for tonight. Um, And then the second thing about this reading is that I'm really interested tonight in a group that Jesus keeps bringing up while he's talking. He keeps bringing up this group called the hypocrites. Who are they and why is he talking about them so much? I just invite you to count with me, maybe on your fingers, whenever he mentions them. We'll see how many we get. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18 from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a time in Christian history that the only means of expressing one's faith was through participation as a member in good standing in a Christian church. Yes, you should also say your prayers at home every night before supper and again at bedtime, but apart from those private devotions, 100% of your faithful discipleship was worked out through the rhythm of the church's calendar, in the church's space, led by the church's designated leaders. In this way, religious people tended to their spirits in community alongside other religious people tending to their spirits, all of them together doing religious things for spiritual flourishing. In other words, to be a spiritual person was to be a religious person. For hundreds and hundreds of years of Christian history, it was inconceivable that spirituality and religion could be two separate realities, that one's personal faith flourishing could exist outside of the communal life of the church. The church was the locus for prayer and praise, for Bible reading and instruction, for confession and forgiveness, for the sacraments that brought holiness into this ordinary world. <clears throat> I don't claim to know when or why that changed. There are lots of people more qualified than I who study and make their best guesses with respect to the shift. But here we are on the other side of modernity. And we have a new understanding. We have untethered personal spirituality from communal religiosity, at least in US American, mostly white, Protestant circles we have. So when the demographers ask people about their religious affiliation lately, the fastest growing category in the United States is none, N-O-N-E. People who say they have no church or synagogue or mosque for that matter. They are not a member of any denomination. They are not on any church role. Now, I will tell you that we whose life work is tied up in church were alarmed 
when the percentage of nuns reached 30% of U.S. American adults. We were positively freaked out when it reached 40%, and we anxious vomited when we realized that younger generations are increasingly likely to say that they are nothing in particular when it comes to religious belonging in communities of faith. Because it will not be long before those younger generations are the older generations, and we who are still doing this church thing will be outnumbered by far. And we scratched our heads in wonder and confusion when it turned out that lots of those nuns with no religious affiliation still describe themselves as spiritual, even deeply so, with private practices of meditation and prayer, generous giving to causes they care about, rituals to mark life transitions, friends with whom they talk about big stuff, life, the universe, and everything. Spiritual, but not religious, SBNR for short. This group is growing as the rope that used to tether our personal faith to communal expression frays unto breaking. If you talk to enough SBNRs, look around, there are lots of you here, giving this religious thing one last chance before you duck out completely. One thing you will hear a lot about is the hypocrisy of the churches that we have all been part of at one time or another. It's one of the things that SBNRs say they hate most about religion. Perhaps you have some experience with hating hypocrisy yourself. Maybe you've been seriously hurt by someone else's hypocrisy. Maybe it still stings more than a little. Hypocrisy is a thing we all know a lot about because we might have suffered from it, but mostly because, honestly, it's quite impossible in my experience to avoid having some of it ourselves. For example... We care a lot about climate change, are miserably anxious that the planet is burning and won't be healthy enough to sustain our children's children, and we're concerned about economic injustice and the growing wealth gap in this country and globally and etc. but we just keep going through the drive-through in our individual idling cars buying factory farmed food that comes swaddled in styrofoam served by poverty wage workers. Anybody else? Or... We hate that our taxes fund this country's massive military-industrial complex, but we don't really have a grip on what it means that U.S. Americans enjoy unprecedented national security by virtue of just being born here, and unprecedented opportunities for economic flourishing because we are armed to the teeth and willing to kill anybody who poses a threat to our way of life. Or... We tweet and post and like and love all the right things on the socials, all the justice things, all the ways that people with lots of time on their hands can signal that they care deeply about certain issues. But we cannot be bothered to lift that righteous indignation off the screen and into the world where justice work actually happens because, because it's hard 
and resource intensive, and it takes a long damn time, and it is sometimes boring and sometimes dangerous. And because we have this growing sense that it'll never really be done. Listen, I'm not trying to make anybody feel shitty. I, all the things I've said here are things I can imagine because I know very well my own life and my own share of hypocrisy. I just want to name that when Jesus goes off on the hypocrites, like he does in Matthew 6, there isn't any one of us, least of all me, who can stand up to that kind of scrutiny of what we say we care about versus what we do actually, how we live, the choices we make every day. Hypocrisy is kind of built in for most of us, much of the time. I just figure we should tell the truth about that. It's Lent. Now, there is this specialized brand of hypocrite that Jesus is especially disgusted with in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is the religious hypocrite. Or maybe we could say the religious but not spiritual hypocrite. The one who makes a show of religiosity, publicly demonstrating, even performing their piety, praying loudly in public places in order to be overheard, making sure that their generosity is witnessed by others, suffering a little for the sake of the faith, fasting, say, or being cold at Picklepalooza. That was my post yesterday. And letting your suffering be known for the sake of recognition as a good human who is willing to suffer a little for the sake of faith. Of course, it could go without saying that Jesus still assumes that his followers will do all these things, pray, give, suffer. But he is definitely saying there's better and worse ways to do these things. And that the difference is in the motivation and in the intended audience do I say my prayers? Do I give my alms? Do I suffer a little for the sake of devotion so that people will see me and respect me or thank me or congratulate me? Do I act out my religious commitments for the sake of their approval? Or, as Jesus suggests, do I do all those same things, all the pious practices that help me adjust my life so that I want more and more of what God wants, so that I pray earnestly for God's will to be done on earth, so that I release my grip on material resources for the sake of God's intended economic equity among the human family, so that I fast or stand in the cold or whatever little suffering I need to endure because remembering my vulnerability and God's provision is part and parcel of this whole Jesus-y way of being. I do all those same things, only as Jesus suggests, I do them completely privately for an audience of capital O, one, trusting that God will notice, even if I don't breathe a word of it to anyone else or post a pic. Because Jesus knew this thing about us, right? Because he was one of us, right? that the temptation is so very, very, very great to use anything at our disposal to get a leg up 
to get status for ourselves. Remember his own trials in the desert, how the enemy tried to seduce him with the various ways he could increase his own status around here among us? How with a few well-placed actions, he could catapult all the way to king of the world without any of the heartache of doing the actual work. How many followers he would instantly gain on every platform if only he would post a quick video of those angels bearing him up after he flung himself off the temple or whatever. The point of those stories is not that Jesus was immune to the temptation. The point of the stories is it was tempting for real, for him. And so Jesus, knowing our need to be noticed, to be lauded and applauded and appreciated for our commitment to all the right things, said no. Not just no to his own God-sized temptations, but no to the small stuff that we might try to gain some righteous recognition for ourselves. He said, you cannot use this religion to get ahead of each other. If you're doing religion for a round of applause, you're doing it wrong. So when somebody tells me that they'd rather be spiritual than religious, Maybe even that they're done, I mean really done, with communal religious belonging and practice altogether because of the hypocrisy of the churches and Christians they've known, maybe even the Christian that they themselves once were. I get that. It's like they've actually listened to Jesus saying, stop using me as social leverage. That's not what I came for. It's unattractive at best and reveals your deeply craven need for human approval to affirm your human being at worst. It's gross, Jesus said. Don't. Stop. But I also think it's easy to miss if all you can see is the giant stinking blob of religious hypocrisy that Jesus is not asking us to turn our backs on religious practice. Indeed, 2,000 years ago, he still assumed that his followers would be praying and would be sharing their resources and would be fasting. He just wanted them to think about why and then how they did it and do it better, which is instructive for us 2,000 years later, yeah? Like, it gives us, as a church has a religious body doing religious things, a set of guide rails, maybe, just to make sure that we stick to the intent of this religious practice in Jesus' name. Recapturing the spiritual intent of our religious practice, I'm saying, makes us a better church, less hypocritical, more genuine in our attempts to connect our hearts to the heart of God. And if we do our religion better, if we all together remember and celebrate the intent of our faith, it can work in the opposite way. Our communal expression of faith can actually increase the health of our own spirits. Better religion makes for better spirituality, I'm saying. I guess I sort of identify as religious for the sake of being spiritual, if you catch my drift. 
I learned a long time ago that I cannot sustain spiritual without religious. If spiritual means being alone, without a community of beloveds, a community of practice in Jesus' name, my life of faith is better. It's even possible because I am living it with all of you. If that sounds true to you, if that sounds good in your ears, as it does in mine, let us also remember that the more Jesus talked about the removal of religion from the status-seeking and status-granting socialization of his religious kin, the more they wanted to kill him. It's a dangerous thing, still, to not care what the religious but not spiritual powers in this world think of you. It's a dangerous thing to refuse to play their game by their rules, not squeezing your identity into their narrow definition of what pleases God. Indeed, church, the more you flourish outside their bounds, the madder they get. Jesus knew that. And still he poked that bear. Do it like this, he said, not like the hypocrites. Knowing that the hypocrites were listening and cringing and seething and plotting. Nothing we can do about them, he says to his followers. Their hearts are as they are. Your heart though, and he looks around at all those sad sacks on the mountainside, the meek and the mourning, the poor and the persecuted, your heart is your own. Tune it well to sing God's praise, and we'll sing it with you. We'll be spiritual and religious and on our way to the heart of God together. Nobody ahead of anybody else. That does sound good to me. You? Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.